Hello, it's Leslie Jane Seymour from Reinvent Yourself. I'm the founder of Covey Club, and we're here today with the wonderful Pam Satrin, who is an old friend of mine, has been a writer of mine um, for various publications, is one of the funniest people I know, has launched many different businesses, and she is going to talk to us today about her last reinvention, because she is not the small reinvention type. She did the giant, giant bungee jumping kind of reinvention where she not only reinvented her career, but she reinvented her entire life at the same time, got a divorce, picked herself up and went from the East Coast to the West Coast. It is quite a story. And it's the kind of reinvention that makes everybody terrified, but it turned out wonderfully for her. And she has so many good tips and tricks for all of you that I hope you'll enjoy it. And if you like Reinvent Yourself, we hope that you will give us some stars on iTunes or wherever you hear this podcast. That is the only way that we can bring our stories of inspiration and women like Pam Satrin to other women who hopefully will get inspired to reinvent themselves by hearing these stories. So after or before, please rate us, give us five stars, and tell your friends about us so other people can find us. Thanks so much, and here is Pam. And so I want to welcome the wonderful Pam Satrin, who is a very dear and old friend of mine who used to write for me, oh my goodness, everywhere, is one of the funniest people I know, and is such a super reinventor rock star that I'm so glad she took the time to talk to all of us. How are you, Pam? I'm great. Hey, Leslie, great to be here. Thank you. So let's jump into your unbelievable reinvention story. I think you have like the Cinderella of all stories. <laughs> so, so talk about how you got into the carriage and what happened with the shoe when you lost it and how the prince found it. And now you're out in LA and you're doing these amazing things. <laughs> yeah, I think um, I think moving beyond the prince was probably one big key to uh, to my story. Um, I tend to think of this chapter of my story as starting when I got a divorce after 33 years of marriage, um, and I'm actually working on a book of funny essays about that called "I Didn't Know You Were Allowed to Do That." Um, oh, I love I love <laughs> title. <Great. laughs> Yeah, uh, you know, it was, um, obviously you don't get divorced after 33 years if you're happily married. Um, it was something I thought about for a long time. And then there was that day when I stepped across the line. Um, so I know we're really talking about professional reinvention. No, but, but it doesn't me, have to be. No, could be all yeah. kinds of life reinvention. Okay, great. Um, you know, it uh, for me, the... Um, the personal life reinvention really happened kind of hand in hand with a lot of professional reinvention. Um, at the time that I left my husband, my novel Younger had been optioned um, as a television show by Darren Starr who made Sex in the City. And that sounds like, you know, an amazing event, life-changing event. But it really wasn't. You know, at that point, the book was 10 years old. It had been optioned by a lot of people. Um, and even though I thought Darren Starr was amazing and could theoretically make an amazing show out of it, um, 
if you've been in this rodeo before, you kind of know that lots of stuff gets optioned, almost nothing gets made. So I wasn't really counting on that to turn into any big uh, career changing or reinvention event. Um, so you weren't but, dumping your husband for Darren. <laughs> no, 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 no. And, and not because, you know, some, I thought that I was going to be rich and famous. And uh, so I didn't need him anymore. Um, it, it really wasn't a factor in ending my marriage at all. That was separate. But when I ended my marriage, um, I thought, you know, what do I, it was time to sell the big old suburban house that a lot of us have, you know, where I had been very happy, had tons of friends, but it was a seven bedroom house. You know, the taxes were incredibly expensive. The heating bill was $900 a month. Yes. It was time to move on from that. Um, and I had always hoped and expected to do that with my husband, but that's not the way it happened. So then I thought, well, what do I want out of this move? You know, one way I approach decisions is to kind of think like, what are the three things I most want out of, out of this decision? Um, and the number one thing for me was that I wanted a big change. I mean, obviously, I, I was leaving my marriage. I was going through this big change anyway. What did I want out of the next step? And and once. So why not became, bungee jump it? Right. You're like, <laughs> you're like, I'm, I'm already out over this canyon. Yeah, just strap on the bungee and let me jump over. I'm going to go to L.A. And I'm going to like. You are crazy, girlfriend. Oh, my God. Okay. I know. I mean, a lot of people, you know, stay in the town, and that's very tempting because I had lots of friends there, lots of support. Um, I knew it. I loved it. Um, the other option was moving into New York, and I almost did that. But then I thought, you know, I'm really going to move to, the, you know, back to my 20-something life in my 50-something body. <laughs> and um, my older son was already living in LA, so there was a little bit of a cushion out here. And I just, I just wanted to change. So I rented um, a furnished house in Laurel Canyon. Um, kind of in the meantime, between telling my husband I wanted a divorce and actually selling the house and getting rid of everything in it, my youngest child dropped out of college. <laughs> oh. <laughs> So I had to load him into the Subaru along with, you know, everything I kept, which was obviously almost nothing. So, so you, it was you and your son going out to California to start my over? My son and I drove across the country like some latter-day feminist Jode family, uh, driving across the country with the back of the Subaru packed with a bunch of ridiculous crap and um, landed in Laurel Canyon and then started to think about what was next. Um, you know, I, I do feel like there was a lot of wisdom in that. And even though it made the big change of leaving my marriage <clears throat> um, more difficult in a lot of ways, I think that it made it um, more productive in ways that really counted for my career and my personal life. How long had you been thinking that you were going to leave your marriage? Was this a long, thought-out thing that, you know, 
so people can understand like are they in the same situation and had you been planning for it did you were you financially solvent mm -hmm. um I had been thinking about it for a really long time. Um, you know, I had I, I went to into therapy about five years before I finally left, and I said to the therapist, "You know, listen, I've done a lot of therapy. I don't need to talk about my parents or my childhood. I just want to decide should I leave my marriage." Oh. Um, and five years later, I was still puzzling over the answer to that question because it's obviously a very complicated question and one that I'd had a lot of trouble finding the answer to. Um, and I, what I ended up with, and I remember the day that I realized what the answer to that question was, and it was, I really want to stay married, but not like this. Okay. But so it was a considerate, you weren't just like something rash. This was something you thought about. You really dug oh into God. it and you came to a very difficult decision. Okay. Yes. That's great. Yes. yes. And then you jumped off the bridge with a bungee. <laughs> Are then you fearless <laughs> in general? Is that your personality that when you go... You know, are you the person who would like jump off the high dive before anybody else? Are you, is that just in your nature? Because some people apparently do have a fearless gene. Uh, absolutely not. You know, I'm sitting here in my very pretty bedroom now, like four houses later in LA, um, you know, wearing uh, cashmere sweats, very cozy under a velvet comforter. <laughs> so I basically, you know, have this little nest and I rarely venture from it, but it's just the nest itself has moved from one end of the country to the other. Um, I think I've gotten a lot braver. Uh, and that's something I would talk about in terms of, um, you know, tips for reinvention is that Making a lot of big changes um, kind of makes you braver about making more, I think, because it's, you know, gee, I I swung on that bungee, bungee and I lived and it was kind of fun. And now I'm on the other side and maybe I feel braver about doing it again. Um, things like, you know, saying to my husband, I want a divorce and sticking with that through several months of real horror, as anyone who's listening who's been through a divorce can attest, you know, that took a lot of fortitude. Um, that to me took a lot of bravery because it was horrible and it wasn't going to get better for quite some time. Mm -hmm. um, so I got sort of tougher through that process. And I think I became, uh, it, it made me more able to speak up for myself, uh, to feel um, entitled to what it was that I wanted, even if the other person didn't want to give it to me, um, and to to stay with it, even when the going got tough. And so you picked up, so you get your book option. First of all, let's just say that you've written many books, you have very um, famous websites about naming babies called Nameberry. I mean, You've been successful in many, many areas, but you've never had your book picked up and optioned mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. actually have it go through. So you go to the West Coast not knowing if this is actually going to happen or anything's going to really make, it, make itself known. And then you hit big success, right? Yeah, Overnight the, sensation, right? 
<laughs> right, overnight uh, tenure sensation. Um, the pilot got made, and in the case of Younger, it was um, you know one of those rare situations where all the lights turn green. And I truly need to give all the credit for that to Darren Starr, who took my book and, you know, in, in my view, really kept what was best about it and added a lot of new elements, um, such as Charles, <laughs> who is a wonderful element um, that really made it fantastic for television. Um, Sutton Foster, you know, H Hilary Duff, who I think is amazing. And so that was happening, but it was really happening away from me. And it wasn't something I was causing to happen. But it definitely made my um, landing in LA a lot easier because, you know, Los Angeles is an industry town. Right. A lot of people you meet are in the entertainment business. So, you know, people want to know what it is, what you do. And it was great to be able to say that I was attached to the show that kind of open some doors for me personally, if not professionally. Because a lot of um, people would be afraid, A, of picking up and moving across the country, and then B, you know, a lot of East Coasters get to the West Coast and something like LA and say it's so different, it's hard to adapt. Mm -hmm. um, there's no central city. I know a lot mm -hmm. of people have trouble with that. And um, did you pick it? Would you have picked it if your book had not been optioned? Would you have gone somewhere else? That's a great question. Um, if the book had not been optioned, I might not have felt like I had something here that made me feel like I belonged here. Um, although I'm really glad that I had this reason, even one outside myself, that made me take this leap. Um, it is is a really hard place to move. You know, everybody lives in houses with literally with walls around them. Um, right. People drive everywhere. It's very hard to meet people, yeah. and everybody's nice, but it's it's hard to really get to be friends with people. Yes, that's um, what I've heard. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. On the other so hand, how do you do that? Gorgeous. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> everybody talks about the weather. Um, how I did it was that I took a lot of classes. Um, I actually really love taking writing classes. And everybody always says, like, you've written 20 books. Why would you take a writing class? But I feel like there's always something new to learn. And it's a great way to meet other people who are interested in the same thing you're interested in, which in my right. case is writing. Um, right. Yeah. So, so I took a lot of writing classes. And I met people that way. Um, and then I was lucky enough to move to this great little neighborhood in Venice um, where I met people in the neighborhood. My first landlords there became friends of mine and kind of were very social people and helped um, introduce me to their friends. So that was very generous and unusual. Oh, that's great. So when you reinvent in this dramatic kind of way, and how many years has it been now since you did that? Um, it's about four years since I said I wanted a divorce and three and a half years since I've moved out here. And so you you did the, the whole big thing, and that's four years. Looking back, 
Would you say that you would have done it in a different way? Are there steps leading up? Say there are people who are listening who are quietly thinking, you know, <laughs> I don't know, I, you know, I'm in this long relationship. I mean, 33 years, man, that's a long relationship to give up no matter yeah. what. Just, you know, that's long. And so say they're thinking the same thing and they're thinking, should I, shouldn't I, you know, what's to be gained? What are the steps leading up to it? What would you say? Because you did a career and life reinvention. Mm -hmm. What are the steps that you need to take in order to know whether this is the right thing for you to do? Because it may not be yeah. right for everybody, right? Totally. You know, I, I think that if you really work on your marriage and go to therapy, if that's appropriate, you know, go on a trip, whatever it takes to feel closer, um, and you're still unhappy, um, you know, I, I read a book that really influenced me, which was too good to leave, too bad to stay, because I felt like I was stuck in this ambivalent place for a very long time. And um, I highly recommend this book because I think it really helps you look at your relationship from a different angle and, and really judge in a different way whether this is something you should stick with or not. Um, I also had a situation where my mother had died um, when she was pretty young and I had reached the age that she was when she died. And I really felt like some sort of spiritual sense that I had to honor this extra life I'd been given, um, this extra help sense. I'd been given. Um, and, you know, and really it was time for me. I mean, I, I'm sure you feel this way and a lot of people listening feel this way after raising three children, you know, it's a long haul. It's a lot of um, putting other people first. And That's I, right. yeah, and I felt like it was finally time. I mean, how much time do we all get to put ourselves first? Not very much. Not on um, this end. Yeah. You don't yeah, yeah. No. No. Yeah. And, um, and so any regrets that you would have done it differently or um, faster, sooner, um, I think I would have been um, a, a little less naive about what to expect from my husband during the process, because as someone said to me, it seems very self-evident, but uh, he's not going to get nicer to you after you tell him you, you want to uh, divorce him. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think I wasn't prepared enough for as big a battle as it turned into. Um, that was very hurtful to me and, you know, financially difficult and just very upsetting. And maybe that couldn't have been av avoided, but I think I would have been less naive about, oh, can't we still be friends sort of possibility. Uh -huh. And can I ask, were you financially stable? Were you the breadwinner? Were you equal? Were you in a situation where you didn't have to worry about financial? Because that is one of the big issues mm -hmm. totally. when you're thinking about divorce. You know, mm -hmm. some women are still dependent financially and some people are not. Yeah, that's, that is huge. Um, we were pretty equal um, earners. And um, my husband was always the one with the steady job and the steady paycheck. And I owned a business and wrote books. And, and so my income was more up and down, but basically equal. Um, by the time I left, my website, Nameberry, had grown to the point that um, my partners and I were able to live um, 
from that money. And it also gave me a lot of flexibility in terms of where I was going to live. Mm -hmm. So I still run that business. Um, but I, you know, I could do that from anywhere. Right. Uh, I've also started another business in the meantime though, where I'm starting another business that has really been exciting. And I think is like, I think when you, get brave enough to make that big leap and, and to make all the other changes that kind of go along with it, it can really open up the horizon so that you feel more brave about doing something else that's new. Um, and what I, is your newest thing then? Uh, so the new business, yeah, yeah. It's called Clemens and Twain, and it's uh, a business of helping people choose new names for themselves. So this in includes trans people. It includes people coming from other countries who might want an English name. Uh -huh, um, interesting. I got an, yeah, I got an email the other day from a, a single mom of two teenagers who all had different names. And she said, we want to choose a last name, a new last name for ourselves that we all can share that's going to have meaning for all of us. And I thought that, you know, was really fantastic. Uh, so I started this business um, actually with a friend of my son's. So I have a partner in his 20s who um, had brought a lot of skills that I didn't have. And it's awesome. been a great, yeah, it's been like a fantastic professional relationship and really interesting personal dynamic too, uh, working with somebody that much younger than me. But you are a serial entrepreneur then. You are a serial reinventor because you... You do like change. What in your background growing up would have pitched you towards liking change? Or But you were 33 years in a marriage, so it's not like yeah. you were running through guys every 10 years either. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that it was, there was anything that made me want change so much as that I just wanted to get out and move on. You know, my parents were working class people. They told me that you know, I was the girl and they didn't have enough money to send me to college. And, you know, it was kind of necessity as the mother of invention in my case. I just needed to get myself to college and get out of this very circumscribed life. Um, in some ways, I think if you start low like that, it makes it harder, but it also gives you more energy to move forward because, you know, you don't want that. Um, yes. <laughs> Right. You're yeah. propelling out. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And, yeah. And so what is it like to reinvent in Hollywood, girlfriend? What is <laughs> what what's cool? What's not cool? What have you had to change about yourself? Like, are you going to different different hair colors or your Pam is a, was a fabulous redhead? What's happening? No, still, still fabulous redhead. Just a little faker every year. Okay. Um, you know, I'm uh, because of younger. When I moved here, I thought, you know, uh, if I'm ever going to write for TV or do anything with TV, this is my moment, right? Yes. Um, and I really thought I can do this. Um, television would be excited to work with me, <laughs> and that was super naive because, uh, you know, Hollywood is a very close society, and as we've all been reading. Uh, it's really hard if you're a woman and yes. if you're a woman who is, I mean, they, their ageism cutoff is 40. So if you're I'm a woman, surprised it even goes beyond 25, you know, I know it's true. It's totally true. It's, 
crazy. So I, you know, I really got nowhere. I, I wrote a lot of pilots. Um, I did a lot of work. I called a lot of people and really basically got nowhere with that. Um, but I also started writing a new novel. Um, I was just in New York last week and there, my publisher is going to do a big new edition of Younger, which is fantastic. And they want to do my new novel and the essay books. So I feel like, you know, maybe the TV thing will come around again in a different way. Wow. So you're a big hit writer for a TV show and you still can't break into TV <laughs> in general. That makes no sense to me. And is, do you think that's ageism? Yes. Wow. Yes. Because yes. we're all battling that. We are all of us battling that. And I find, you know, it's the last quarter of the year and I am getting calls. I don't know why they think I have any answers. Um, <laughs> but all my friends from the beauty and fashion businesses, because the last quarter, I guess all these public companies are now cutting heads. I feel mm -hmm. like I'm literally running around like a fireman telling people to jump. Mm -hmm. They've been, they're being pushed into these, you know, bad situations at work mm -hmm. where obviously they're trying to get them to quit or they want to push them out the door. Um, and they're 50 something mm -hmm. and they're terrified of what's next. And they're terrified of what happens Monday morning when they don't have a place to go. Mm -hmm. And it's just been, and I, a lot of it, it's to do with, you know, you're 50 years old and they think you're not, it's not true, but they think you don't know anything. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, I had this seminal experience in my career and it was, I was an editor of Glamour and it was literally my first day at Glamour. I went in and the person who had hired me, who, who was in her 50s, who had been there her whole career, was not there anymore. She had mm. been fired. Um, several top editors at Mademoiselle had been fired. People, Edie Locke, people, Mary Cantwell, people I had really revered as a young woman, you know, wanting to be a magazine journalist. And I remember thinking that day, do not be here when you're 50. Yes. Because, you know, and, and it really made me, you know, very early on look toward creating my own business and creating a way of making money that nobody else could control. Um, and so what do you do when you're 50 and you're starting from scratch? I mean, you've done this amazing created this amazing business in my eyes um, that has been a real pivot. Um, I think it's more challenging to do it when you haven't been doing it for years. Yes. Oh, no. That's why I was so thrilled. I mean, I have to tell everybody listening that when Pam called me, I mean, I've known Pam forever and she sent me a note and said, I love Covey Club. You know, how can I help? Blah, blah, blah. I was like, I mean, this, this moment, I was like, oh my God, Pam likes it. <laughs> we're putting not a good enough show that she actually thinks that something, you know, oh, it's God, like, so it's a, you know, it's like, it's that little badge of approval from people on the outside who, you know, you're like struggling, you know what it's like. It's very, it's very lonely. You're all by yourself. You're, I call it the puffer fish thing, which is what we <laughs> used to do in, in corporate as well when we had no funds because they were strangling all of my products. Every time I was in corporate, they would just keep cutting the budgets. So we would talk about being a puffer fish, which is you just blow yourself up and do all the things from the outside that make you look like you're real. And nobody has to know that behind the scenes, three people, you know? Right, 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 right. Yes, yes. 
You can but talk these, about your team. <laughs> these, yeah, right. That's my favorite is when people say, can someone from your team man the desk? And I'm like, no, because the, the team is going to be on stage. So no, they can't man the desk. The whole team is on stage. That's it. Um, but the, it, the hard part is, is when you are over 50 and a lot of women are just beginning to experience that or to open their eyes to it and they are terrified and they feel yeah. like they're being pushed out earlier than men. We're going to do some research on that to find out there's no numbers. Um, women feel like they're being pushed out in their fifties and men are feel like they're being pushed out right before retirement in their sixties. Mm -hmm. We think that it may be that women can't get back in in their 50s, mm -hmm. whereas the men can jump back in and they'll let them back in for another decade. Are you seeing anything like that? Or do you have a sense of anything? Yeah. Oh, yeah, of course. I, I mean, I, I think it's happening to both genders. Um, but it, it's interesting because the friends I have made here, the really close friends are women who have gone through the same thing, you know, in, in different configurations. But one of my closest friends was a big television executive who lost her job the same week that I told my husband I wanted a divorce. Something was obviously in the air. Was, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and she's going from television to creating a whole uh, a movement studio for women over 40. Um, oh, cool. So really big career change. Um, another friend was a lawyer and had a health scare and now is um, making jam, starting oh, a jam wow. company. Yeah, and it's been, you know, one thing I hadn't thought of this as a tip for your listeners, but one thing that we've done that I, I did when I lived in uh, New Jersey with writer friends is that we get together and talk to each other about our business plans, challenges, uh, you, you know, ask advice of each other, kind of as if we work together, mm -hmm. but we just each have separate companies. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, as if we were partners in the same business, mm -hmm. except we have different businesses. Mm -hmm. And it's been, it's really a great way to feel like you have some community and some advice, um, you know, without, if, if you're in a situation where you really don't have a partner, um, where you really are working alone or just trying to get started working alone. How um, do you do that? Do you meet at someone's house yeah. once a month? Do you do it on Zoom, on the computer? How do you all meet? Or are you just talking um, individually? Do you have a standing meeting? Because that's a really uh, good with, tip. Yeah. Um, my, uh, with Actually, both these friends live on opposite sides of LA, which you know counts for everything in LA. And so um, I've had to have a standing weekly lunch or drinks meeting or bike ride or something that happens at the same time and then we just talk about what it is we're doing oh, that's um, great yeah it's really great it's really so useful i've gotten some of my best ideas for my books um, for my businesses and i love also being able to you know help somebody else with their ideas with their challenges are always so much easier than your own right yes uh, always <laughs> oh my god how come i can always help other people but never help myself that's the way it is yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, great. Yeah, I do a thing here at my house once a month for women in Westchester who have, who are entrepreneurs, again, because it's so isolating and alone, we call it the Red Cup Women. Um, and we meet once a month and we have everybody, it's potluck, you bring something. 
and um, we talk about our businesses and we're all in oh, different businesses. Great. But yeah, yeah, the idea is to share because I was so used to working in a team and mm -hmm. there are no teams when you're an entrepreneur. So, mm -hmm. so any parting, parting words for women who are trying to reinvent themselves? And certainly you did both. You did your personal life and your mm -hmm. uh, professional at the same time. Any last yeah. tips? You gave so many great ones during the talk, so you don't have to, but <laughs> any <laughs> yeah, summing you know, up? I, I think changing a lot of things at once is a good idea. And at the same time, you might want to, you know, tighten up on other things. You know, I've gotten a lot closer to my kids than I was before. You know, all my kids are grown up, but we're all really, really close now in a way that we weren't before. And I think that gives me a lot of um, stability and security in the mm. midst of all this change. Mm. Um, and I guess the last thing I would say, you know, what I wrote in my notebook was toughen up. Um, I just feel myself getting tougher all the time, just being able to speak up, just find ways, you know, to deal with that rejection, which is just so inevitable. You know, I can tell you that despite all the success for the last five years, ever since I made these changes, I've gotten so much rejection around my writing and then now suddenly everything's coming together and I'm so glad I stuck with it. But, um, you know, it was not easy and the only answer is just to get tougher about dealing with it, whatever it takes to do that. And just keep going, right? Especially- And just keep going. I mean, if you knew hundreds of, hundreds of rejections, ladies, yeah. Hundreds, right? And you're successful I mean, and you're a screaming, raging success. So that's what it takes. It's really, yes. and so for the average person, um, it's going to be even more rejection, but you just have to keep at it. You and that's, it. yeah. And that's what I hear over and over and over and over and over again. A lot of people say that it's endurance. It's an endurance run. It's not a sprint. It's hanging in there and it's getting through the rejections and the downtimes mm -hmm. and keep going, right? Mm -hmm. That's right. Because, um, you know, find joy in the work you're doing. And that's really what it's all about anyway. Um, yes. Any writer will tell you seeing the book on the shelf is kind of, you know, thrilling for maybe 10 seconds. But you know, it's really the two or three years that it took you to sit there and write the book. And then all the time it took to hear, you know, agents and editors turning it down. Um, you have to love that time you spent doing the work. Well, we'll take anything into the covey that gets rejected by any idiot out there who would reject anything <laughs> you write. So you've got an open door here. Know oh, that. Sweet. Thank you. And Pam, thank you so much for taking the time. And you are such an inspiration. And we are all going to follow you out there because the weather here is going to get really bad on the East Coast. So <laughs> thank we're gonna be, you so much, going to have all the Covey Club knocking on your door for reinvention soon. I can't wait. All right. Thanks so okay. much, Pam. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. So I want to thank you all for listening to Reinvent Yourself with Leslie Jane Seymour. And I am the founder of Covey Club, the place where women come to reinvent and connect. And 
I hope you enjoyed listening to Pam. She's just a super duper reinventor. Of course, you don't have to upend your entire life when you reinvent. It could be as small as changing your hair color. It could be as small as changing the sector um, in which in which you work. She is just one of those ginormous reinventors. Um, but of course, if you are inspired to do that, she's your inspiration, and I say go for it. And I hope that you will come back and listen to our other podcasts about reinvention. We come at it from every different angle, as you can see. And if you like us, please give us some stars and rate us on iTunes or whatever podcast you pull us down on so that other hopeful reinventors can find us. Thanks a lot and stay tuned for our next show.